All right, welcome back to a bonus episode of the Blasters and Blades podcast. So, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies, a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, let me tell you what we're doing right now. We're getting ready to uh, release some of the archive that we found from when we were the sci-fi shenanigans. Uh, we're going to get those up there for for the posts that were brought down. We thought you might enjoy them. Um, and so without further ado, let us, uh, let us roll that beautiful... Oh, wait, they're going to sue me. Play it. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi fans. Time for your daily dose of insanity. Over here at the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast with your hosts, Jared Handley and me, Chris Winder. Just two nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions. A place where the sky's the limit, space is the place, and nerds run the world. Without further ado. All right, thank you for coming back to listen to us again. Today we have a special guest for you. Um, Richard Fox is the a winner. Yay! And please forgive Chris's voice. He's getting over a cold. Yeah. That's what happens when you work for the school system. Those little germ factories make you sick. Oh, they do. <laughs> but uh, so today for our guest, we have Richard Fox, who is the winner of the 2017 Dragon Award for Best Military Science Fiction or Fantasy Novel. He's the author of the Ember War Saga, a military science fiction and space opera series, the best combination ever, and other novels in the military history, thriller, and space opera genres. And I'm probably the only person that wants him to write more of those military histories, but hey. Um, <laughs> he lives in the fabulous Las Vegas with his incredible wife and three boys, amazing children, been on anarchy. Are there any children out there that aren't been on Anarchy? I don't think so. No, I'm pretty sure they're all for it. Yeah. So uh, he graduated from United States Military Academy at West Point, much of his, much to his surprise, and spent 10 years on active duty in the United States Army. He deployed on two combat tours to Iraq and received the Combat Action Badge, the Bronze Star, and the Presidential Unit Citation. And he's a pretty friendly guy, so if you want to chat with him on Facebook, his stuff will be in the show notes, and he's very active on his author page. So normally we follow that through with how we met uh, Richard because it helps sort of humanize him and, and put a face to a name as it were. Although we both agreed that we all have faces for radio, which is why we're doing it this way. Um, so I actually first met or found Richard's books when I was in negotiations with Podium for my audiobooks, And they said, hey, you write military science fiction and you're a veteran. We do other people like that. And here's Richard's books. And so they gave me the first two Ember War books, the publisher's pack, to listen to what they could do. And I listened and they were horrible drug dealers because they got hooked. So the next day before I knew about Audible subscriptions, I bought all of them. And my wife got a huge bill. And she's like, what the heck are you doing? And then I was talking to Josh about it because I had recently found the KSM, the Keystroke Medium. And he's like, you know, you can get an Audible membership. Like, don't. <laughs> so, yes, um, I slept on the couch for two days because of you. I'm just, I know you feel no guilt, but I just want you to, to know that. And, I promise uh, to spend that money foolishly. <laughs> outstanding. Uh, and like some of the people we've interviewed in the past, he's also been on the Keystroke Medium on YouTube. So if you want to watch him live, 
um, keystrokemedium.com's information will be in the show notes. What about you, Chris? How'd you first find this guy? When I first started writing, I, I started with fantasy and then I tried thriller. Then I decided I wanted to give a, I want to try out military science fiction. So I asked around who should I read so I can get a taste of the genre. And it was unanimous that it should be Richard Fox. So I haven't been disappointed. And that's, that's why I first heard about him. Outstanding. All right. So the first question, Richard, what do you love about science fiction as a genre? What I love about science fiction, it can be any story you want. And Isaac Asimov said that science fiction can be a mask as you put on any kind of story. Romance, you can have a science fiction romance. You want to do some sort of deep study into the human soul, science fiction, perfect for it. You know, let's say, oh, you know, is this person, you know, what is it to be alive? Okay, well, let's have an AI story about what it is to be alive. And that's what's great about science fiction is it's anything you want it to be. There's no, well, there's no real limits on it. And the definition of the genre is is wide enough that you can just get whatever story in that you want there. So, and and it, it's a great place to just let your imagination go. I think that's what we get from most of the authors. They say that that they love how wide open it is, and especially now that people are mashing uh, science fiction and fantasy. So you can you can have dragons in space. Entirely possible. So, Why not? Yeah, why not? I mean, I mean who's to say? We, we haven't been everywhere in space. So they, they did that in Pern. They had the dragons in space. Now, I used to, when people ask me what the best part uh, of being a historian, because I got my master's degree in colonial American history, and I used to say that, you know, all the math was done for me, and no, nobody could disagree with me because they were all dead. Although other <laughs> other people that study the genre can disagree, I mean, that study history can disagree with me. But since science fiction is generally speaking written to the future, zero people can disagree because how do they know? So that is right. a beautiful <laughs> right. thing about science fiction. Well, what's your earliest memory of, of science fiction? Was it a TV show or a oh, game? Oh, no. It was 1979. Uh, I was about a year old, and my, I remember my mother carrying me in to see Star Wars. We, and I, I sat there gripping the the seat in front of me, watching TIE Fighters battle X-Wings, and it was all downhill from there. So after that, <laughs> it, was, it was nothing but Darth Vader this, Luke Skywalker that, the Force this, and it was just Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars, up until this last movie. And, <laughs> no. so, and so I you know so it was the earliest memory was was Star Wars. And then when I bet you know Back in the 90s, when $5 could get you something, I had a $5 a week allowance. And all I would spend my allowance on was new Star Wars books, new Star Trek books. Yes. And I would just devour those on a weekly basis. Normally, we would ask people, you know, what their religion is because we go into uncharted territory, Star Wars, Star Trek, <laughs> brown coats. But you answered it for us and you answered it correctly. So you get to stay. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so is that the real reason you right. went to West Point and you wanted to be uh join the evil empire you want to be a stormtrooper what well, i i te- no what i wanted to do uh was to pilot a, a veritech from robotech oh yeah. i wanted to do that when uh, i was robotech. a kid and then i did so i was going to go to the air force academy and when you're i was you have a long medical process to get into any of the academies and Doing that, I found out I was mostly colorblind. You too. Yeah. 
And so, like, the only test I could pass was this red or green? Red. Is this red or green? Green. Okay. And for the Air Force, uh, if you if you have color vision like that, and you try to fly a plane, you'll die. I could so I could have gone to the Air Force Academy, but so I decided if I can't fly the planes, I'll jump out of them. Smart. And this is kind of lo- yeah, this is the kind of logic you, decisions you make when you're 18 and don't know anything. So I went to to West Point instead, thinking I just oh I'll just go be Army Ranger. And uh, so yeah, makes sense. Right. I'm, I'm tracking the logic. So I've got a personal- Got a personal question for Richard. Shoot. And don't worry. We're only share it with our tens and tens of listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever tried to use the force? Yeah, oh, when I was a kid. Sure. And yeah, okay. I'm not alone. <laughs> that uh, BMW, I think it was a BMW halftime commercial where the little kid dressed as Vader and they were doing the auto start thing on the car. Oh, you remember that? I've drawn a blank on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If that had technology had been around, my parents would have done that to me too because I tried. <laughs> so, so I got a two-part question: How early did you start writing and and like just just feeding that that seed? And then, how did you transition from your love of science fiction to actually doing this professional? Uh, the first thing I ever wrote was kind of a skit for a, a, uh, my high school like anti-drug week that they had. And I realized this was going to get shown to the entire school and I you know put in I, I had you know military humor even back then just you know I was knocking on the Coast Guard at the time and as you did so it was right yeah oh yeah they, they're, they're open for it and so the, the, the first thing I wrote was was those plays and then I went to college and I was involved in the theater arts guild which is just as cool as it sounds. And I did, uh, I wrote a couple, you know, little parts for, for plays here and there. And that was, that was, that was fun. And la- later on, um, I was, you know, I just come back from my first deployment in Iraq and I was sitting with my brother watching a, uh, a history channel show about world war one. And he looks at me and says, you know, there's never been a movie about the red Baron. And I said, you're right. We should write that. And it turns out there had been uh, one movie by uh, about the Red Baron. So I, I started off writing uh, a screenplay about the Red Baron, taught myself everything about writing screenplays, et cetera. And quickly learned you can't make money writing screenplays. And <sighs> so, and, and, and then at, you know, years later, um, I was at work. I was, uh, how to put this, not exactly engaged at this job just because of the nature of it. So, and I realized that this job was going to go away just because of how the contracts work. And so I just decided, well, I can write something. I come across Joe Conrad's blog about being a, uh, an indie author and how it was actually now viable. I was like, Oh, this is a, this could work. All right, fine. I've written a screenplay before novels should be no problem. And hmm. so I, and I thought, you know, my logic at the time was, well, I've been a military intelligence person for so long. I should write military thrillers just like um, Tom Clancy. So I wrote military thrillers and the, the thrillers I, I wrote were so close to reality just because of, you know, I've, I've been downrange twice that, you know, and I didn't market them. And anyway, first couple books did not sell. And then I was uh, fortunate enough to be friends with Russell Blake. And I was complaining to him one day and he said, well, have you tried a different genre? And then the light bulb goes off. And then I suddenly remembered that I love Star Wars since I could barely walk and have read hundreds, if not thousands of science fiction and space opera novels. I was like, oh, why don't I write 
a science fiction space opera novel. And then I got the Ember War, which uh, is did very well when it first came right. out and has continued to do well ever since. So I kind of really wish uh, someone had prompted me to write space opera before I wrote those other books. But here I am. It works out. Well, <laughs> yeah, it sure did, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, the also thing is you learned probably a lot about the writing part of it doing the first couple books. So maybe it's better that, you know, your first breakout book was not your first book because you were probably a better writer at that point. One would hope after so much more experience. Yeah. So sure. So who's been the biggest influence on your writing? What who's, who's been kind of your mentor? I, my, the one author who I continually, I continuously hold myself an example to and find myself lacking every time is Dan Abnett, who is an English author. He writes a lot uh, for a, a, an IP called Warhammer 40,000. And he writes lots of comic books. And, and he wrote a, a trilogy uh, about a character named Eisenhorn, which I think if is the best character arc I've still read. The book came out almost twenty years ago. It's still brilliant. And every time I'm writing, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not Abnet yet. I've got to keep at this. I've, eventually, I'll catch up to him. Maybe in twenty more years. So, <laughs> so I, so I, I, I keep comparing myself to him. So I, I would definitely put him as the the influence. It's it's hard wow, to write for those uh, forty hammer Warhammer forty k books because those fans are they are very picky about their canon. <laughs> oh yeah, they know the canon better than anyone. And if you if you mess it up, they'll find they'll let you. I've, know. I've uh, talked to a, a guy at a con who is he wrote he's written Star Trek, Star Wars novels. He's written Warhammer, and then you know his own fantasy stuff. And I asked him which. Um, IP was the hardest to write in. And he said, by far the, the Warhammer stuff, because they're so fanatical, like even just the shade of, of color on the pauldroon on their armor and, and you'll get tons of hate mail. Oh yeah. Hmm. You have to get that right. It's right. It, the codex is there. You can go to the page and tell you, no, if that blood angel should have a gold border around his pauldron and you got that mixed up on the, yeah, they'll tell you. Uh, although <laughs> while, while I laugh at that, because I, I'm not the type of reader that gets that, um, judicial about the that kind of stuff as far as canon goes that's just not how i read you definitely can respect anyone that can create a universe that uh generates that level of fandom i mean it's impressive so but uh, i always wonder what it's going to be like when i'm sitting in a con somewhere and someone comes dressed up as one of my characters (laughs) and i'm especially afraid that i'm not gonna remember which character that is (laughs) i i I, I tell you what, someday I'm going to be in a a, a a trivia contest with my fans about my own my own works, and I'm going to lose horribly. <laughs> I can tell because I think there's a lot of people. You know, when you write to get the story out of your head, people read to get the story in your head, and after you know, then and that's always the least favorite part of my editing process is when I, I it's a trivia contest against myself. I go back and like, well, all right, what was the name of the ship from book four? That did the one thing, and I thought, well, why don't I, why don't I just go online and ask my readers, and then they're going to be like, don't you know this? I'm like, no, I have to control F the heck out of that one book and figure out the answer. <laughs> I spent days looking for that kind of information when I first started my last series because I was on the last book, and I'm like, well, crap, what, what did I do here? So, and then I found out after all of that, I was reading the wrong book looking for it. <laughs> oh yeah, I've never done that. <laughs> so, has anybody actually cosplayed your stuff yet? 
Not, not to my knowledge. Not to my knowledge. So uh, that was one of the things uh, Chris and I were talking once about what we thought, how we know we made it, and that was one of our things. Is someone asks you for an autograph, someone cosplays your stuff, or starts a fan club. Those were those were three on our list. So. Hmm. I have had uh, some people put one of my ships into video games. There's the uh, Dreadnought game, and someone put the Breitenfeld in there. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's a step forward. Yeah, good. Yeah. Take what you can yeah. get. So um, Richard has written many series. So we wanted to give you a short little list. Well, it's not a short list because he's written, written a lot. But so you you familiar with uh, you can be familiar with his stuff. He's written the Ember Wars saga, the Terran Armored Core series, which is um, in the same universe. Uh, the Terra Nova Chronicles with Joss Hayes, which is also in the Ember Wars universe. He's written the Terran Strike Marines, also in the same universe. He has written... Um, the Exiled Fleet, which I believe is in a separate universe, correct, Richard? Separate. Okay. That's correct. Separate He's universe. written the Eric Ritter spy thriller series, uh, the re- standalone Red Baron novel, and the Queen of Sidonia, which is also a standalone novel. Um, and while those are all amazing books, we're going to s- uh, focus on the one that launched them all. So we're going to talk today, and his questions are going to um, be answered towards the Ember War series. So if the other series um, pique your interest and you, you want us to have him back to talk about those two, shoot us an email. We'll have our contact in the, um, in the stuff below, in the show notes. Um, so how did you come up with the idea for the premise of the Ember Wars? Were you, were you smoking the good stuff, playing on a Ouija board? Uh, did Chris or Nick Cole get you to overindulge in donuts? What's, what's the secret to this one? Oh, I, I wish it was donuts. <laughs> no, uh, what it was is, uh, you know, I, I, I had the, the mindset, okay, I need to write a military sci-fi sort of series. And I, I came across an article, uh, talking about why we haven't, uh, and, detected any alien life yet and there there's like 14 different reasons that, that that there was no alien we hadn't found it and one of the reasons was that every time uh, an alien species pokes their head up and says hey we're over here someone comes over and smashes them <laughs> and i thought okay well that's interesting if you know because for us the cat's out of the bag we've been broadcasting into space since i think the 1930s so if if someone if they're on the way, how do we survive? If if somebody's coming to smash us, so and then the Ember War turned into okay, you know, this this mental experiment of that we can't win. How do we survive? And so and that's how the Ember War happened. Okay, that's an interesting uh, premise to start with. Although we all know the truth because we have watched the TV shows. They are in Area Fifty One, Mister Richard. Oh, they're already here. Dang it. Okay. Well, we've also we've also got the the common cold to save us. This is true. (laughs) I will save us all. (laughs) Those little germ factories at your school. Oh yeah. So uh, since Ember Ember Wars is a series, I know because it says so in the title. Um, Where do you see it going? You have nine books out in the series. You have several follow-on series and branches. Where do you see it going next? It's uh, right now the Iron Dragoons, the series of the uh, Terran Armor Corps with the Iron Dragoons is, is going on. And that's three books in. And I've got at least three more books for that. Uh, and, and, and while I'm writing that, uh, Scott Moon and I are doing kind of a, a parallel series that should end up about the same time. And then for Terra Nova, while it's in the same universe, the stories take place in different galaxies. Uh, you, you need, if I need a would bust out the crayons to explain that to myself sometimes <laughs> but the 
Uh, and that series could go on for quite some time just because of how different the setting is. So it's, you know, if people really enjoy the reads and, you know, if people keep reading them, I'll, I'll keep writing them. So and, and while I don't want this to, I don't want this to become a, a 25 year uh, experience like David Weber has with his Honor Harrington books. You know, I think uh, another year or two of, of writing Ember War stories uh, won't get too many complaints just because people, you know, people like the universe, people like the technology, people like the characters. So, and then I can always, you know, have a more manageable chunk of, hey, let's have a three story arc over here for people to enjoy, or let's, let's do a prequel story about this aspect. And, you know, that could, that could still work. Right. <clears throat> so when you're done with the um, Emberverse, are you going to go to the exiled fleet and, and write in that world some more or start right. something new? It's, it's, well, I, I tell you, it's, I started doing the, the exiled fleet series because I didn't know if people were going to like the Terran armor core books with iron dragoons. And I had a, a not a bad problem, but a, a good problem in that Al- Albion lost sold really well. And then I did iron dragoons and that sold really well. And it's like, Oh, they're both winners. Well, how do I pick? So I started to alternate between the two, the, the two series. And then iron dragoons won the dragon award for best military science fiction novel. And that's then that series sucked up all the attention. It's like, okay, so now I need to get this done or, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious who the winner is here. And while I would love to just keep writing them back and forth, but you know, all my energy is going to go towards finishing iron dragoons. And then I'll come back to Albion lost relaunch the series with better covers and, you know, Hey, it's 99 cents. Now, please remember this one mm-hmm. for, before book three comes out. <laughs> right. So, so it's uh so the Albion lost is, you know, is it, it's a, it's different tech, different kind of enemy. And it's, I, it's very, I, I love the, the bad guys at it are, for, are, are excellent. And that series is probably going to be, you know, seven to nine books. And I, I wish there was like four of me who could write all these books right now, but there's just the one. So, yeah, unfortunately we can't pause time. And even if we could, we'd never write fast enough for some of these readers. Probably not. No, no, the, I, I, I'm blessed. I'm blessed with people who can, who can f- tear through one of my books in two days. And then they say, where's the next one? I'm like, it's, <laughs> it's a good it's problem coming. to have though. <laughs> I wish I could write as, yeah, I wish I could write as fast as people can read. Everyone, a lot more people would be happy. Yes, I, I'm sure they would. <laughs> um, including the people you hire to do your covers and editing. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm a, yeah. I, the people who do my covers and editing, they're thrilled that I am with what's a, called a steady customer. Because every every two months, they know I'm coming back. Um, so. so some of the um, follow-on series you're writing in the Emberverse are uh, co-written with uh, Josh Moon and uh, Josh Moon, Josh Hayes and Scott Moon. Sorry, guys. Um, how did working nah. with an another author change um, how you tell the stories, or did it? And I'm asking more from the from the story perspective because we we're not geared gearing this podcast towards other authors. We're trying to keep it fan focused. So sort of narrow that to the storytelling aspects. Right. The way I write is you outline extensively do it. And while I'm writing the character moments will kind of come out. So we'll co-write together. And then I'm going through my final version of the manuscript. And then it's like, Oh, and then this character does this. And this character does that. And then, you know, I'm like, oh, here's all these other parts. And then it's like, 
and then I kind of had to look at Scott and Josh and say, there's more here. Um, keep this in mind for the next book. I, 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 I'm sure it's very frustrating for them. And I'm, I doubt, I, I'm sure I'm a terrible co-author to work with sometimes. Just because I'm, it's not like I will ever go back and say, now nah, those 20,000 words got to go. It's more, this is that aspect I didn't realize was there. And now we got to, you know, put that story aspect in chapter four, five, and seven. So have, mm. has the so. story gone places that you hadn't thought it would because, you know, you've got another, you know, mind playing in the universe coming up with ideas? It does sometimes. It's it's more, it's like, well, why would this character do that? And then we realize like the guy we're talking about, you know, his backstory will kind of come to the both of us. Okay. Like, oh, okay. That's why he's doing this. Because we, we have, you know, a rough sketch of what all these characters were doing before the story began. And so if that sounds to the listener a little bit heavy handed, um, I actually, when you create a universe, that's actually probably a smart way to do it because one of the problems with the, um, with the Star Wars universe, which is why when Disney bought it, they had to make all of the previous novels now legends instead of canon is because it's, so- it, you've got Luke and everybody wanted to write about the main character. So everyone wanted to write about Luke or Han or whatever. And then you have them all over the universe and there's no way they can be in two places at once, but both books got written. And so by doing it this way, Richard's actually controlling the canon in such a way that, that you really don't have any, any issues with that down the road as it expands where you you have things that, well, this couldn't have happened because of this, but both happened in the books. So I know other people listening, Richard, don't always get that. You know, you have to keep that. Somebody has to maintain the canon. I think it's it's true because sometimes, or otherwise, the characters will get away with away from you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I, I've not had anyone say, well, "Why? Well, why didn't these two things mesh yet? Yet I've yet to have that." So, but I'm sure it'll come along someday, and I'll be I'll be put on the spot at a convention somewhere. And it's like in book five, blah blah blah, and I'm like, "You got me." And what I'll do is I'll, I'll just have an, an envelope. With the words "no prize" written on it, <laughs> and, and I'll hand it over to the guy. Here's your no prize. You got it. And of course, the envelope is empty because it's no prize. You know, I'm just lifting that idea from Marvel Comics. So, do you? Um, you've mentioned uh, David Weber's universe, and I know he has um, written or or fans have. There's a book out there with some of the canon type stuff. Is that something you plan on releasing for your fans? Your basically your universe bible. And, and I, I don't think so. It's it would seem like um, I, no one's asked for that. So and it would be a it was right now. It's all in my head. And I feel like if I put it down on paper, I mess. I might mess it up. Hmm. So but uh, no, it's I, I think somebody started a wiki somewhere that I'm just too embarrassed to look at. And because I think like, I now I got to start putting stuff in here. And it's like, but no, no, no. I need to focus on writing new words. Mm-hmm. I can't be worried about my wikis. So. That's when you if, if, you hope you have a an accurate fan going crazy on it. Oh yeah, yeah. If, if they're out there, I'll send them a book and a T-shirt and everything. It'd be great. <laughs> you do T-shirts? Tell us about that real quick because I've never t- heard of T-shirts other are, doing that. Uh, t-shirts are coming. Nick Cole, um, he, he's he's killing it with with his T-shirts. And like for my for people who who uh, my beta readers, my arc readers, I, I call them my red shirts because eventually, if you're in this this pool of readers for me, I will murder you in a book. You know your character. Your you, your name will be a character, and you'll die horribly. <laughs> and I, I call them all. I, I call them red shirts. So I, I'm I'm doing the process now of making actual red shirts for these people, 
And, you know, when you get killed, you, you ascend to Valhalla and I send you a proper shirt that says you got killed. And then there will also be the I Survive 2018 Red Shirt t- Squad, you know, that, that everyone will get every year. That's awesome. So, and, th- and then there's going to be, you know, um, just a shirt with, you know, uh, about, you know, like, oh, I'm the, you know, the Terran Strike Marines armor shirt. So there's going to be a Marine shirt. And people, people like them. And I've had people keep asking me for them. I'm like, okay, fine. You know, if, you're, if your readers and fans want something, it's probably a good idea to give it to him. So the only other person I've heard do that was Richard, um, excuse me, Nick and Jason with the galaxy's edge. I know they have the KTF stuff that they sell on Amazon. Right. So is that something you're going to do? Sell it on Amazon? Or are you going to do like yeah, a cafe? I'll, press? I'll sell it on, I will sell it on Amazon just because if, if someone says you can buy it on Amazon, there's this huge relief. Oh goodness. Because you know, it's going to be quality. If you don't like it, you can just send it back and it's going to be reasonably priced. So I like doing it through Amazon just for the, the ease of use for everyone involved. So I've got my account there and I'm waiting for the, the designs to come back. So does that something they do? Will they do the shirts print on demand or do you have to warehouse them? No, they print on demand the shirts. Awesome. For Amazon. Good That's job. awesome. But you'll have to, um, I'm assuming you'll put the, the link to buy that stuff in your, on your website when it goes live. Yeah, it should be live by the end of the month. Awesome. So that will be in the show notes, his website. And then at the end of the month, if you're interested, click the uh, click the link and, and hit the buy button. So that's it. That's awesome. I'm sorry. That was an unintended question, but it just perked my interest because I like that kind of stuff. I- I'm like addicted to she- T-shirts with cool designs on them. My wife laughs at me. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. I like T-shirts with I like T-shirts with flaming skulls on them for whatever reason. That is awesome. And my wife's like, you're not, you're not leaving the house now. I'm like, fine, I'm just going to go work out. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so you can get bumper stickers too. Cause I have a thing for bumper stickers. You can put them on bumper stickers. I might, I might but it's, you know, like for whatever, whatever reason, one of the reson- resonating phrases from my books is cod mittens, which is a bastardization of the, the, the ship motto, uh, the Breitenfeld. And if, if you know what cod mittens is, it's like, ha ha, you know, but otherwise everyone's like, fish don't have hands. They can't wear mittens. <laughs> I actually like that no. you, uh, you didn't use Latin for the, uh, for the ship motto stuff. You used the German. I thought that was different. Right. Right. It's, it's, um, I, for a lot of my ship names, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the band Sabaton, which, um, it does is military section, military history metal. Which I, I thank God this has happened in my lifetime that that this exists because I was a mis- military history major in in college and so Sabaton they just sing about military history I love it and so uh, I will incorporate a lot of their lyrics into ship names while I'm uh and sometimes titles while I'm writing. All right. Well, I <clears throat> I can't spell that, but we will get uh, with Richard offline and we will get a link to that band um, in the show notes so you can check them out as well. Um, because if you like military history and you're reading military science fiction, this is probably your, uh, your stuff. You'll like it. So we will have that in the show notes, but now we are going to, uh, pause for a word from our sponsor. Humanity will be free. No matter the cost deep in the Guatemalan jungle, buried beneath a forgotten Mayan pyramid, an earth shattering secret sits waiting. Its discovery will rip apart the illusion that humanity is alone in the universe. Engaged in a life-and-death struggle for the future of mankind, Harry Rogers and Jess Cook are forced to protect this secret from the most despicable foes imaginable. 
They must race across the globe to complete Liberty Station, the first true interplanetary ship. Only then can they search for the shocking truth behind what they found. They have no room for error, because failure means death for them and subjugation for everyone else. Presenting Liberty Station, Book One of Humanity Unlimited, written by Terry Nixon. Purchase your copy on Amazon. And learn more about the author and his works at terrymixon.com. All right. Thank you for sticking around through the commercial. So uh, we were just talking about merch because I sidetracked us. But before that, before I derailed this train, we were you were answering about how co-writing has affected the way you tell the stories. It sounds like not very much because you found authors that are sort of thinking along the same lines as you to work with. Um, do you think your process could work if you wrote with someone who who was the opposite of you? That whole yin yang effect? Could you? Or no, no. It's because it's while while I'm writing in my universe, you know, my baby, and it's right right now. I went to it's kind of like I went to Scott and Josh in my car and said, "Get in, we're going to sell books." And they got in the car and off we go. <laughs> and if I had to go to a different you know, a different car with a different person, and we had to figure out who's driving and where we're going to go. And how what we're going to listen to on the radio? I've taken this metaphor way too far. Uh, I don't I don't know if it would work. So, but uh, it's, with just Scott and Josh, it's pretty easy because they've read all my stuff. They understand where I want to go with the stories. It works. But if it's like, oh, let's write something completely different with some other person who has strong ideas, it would be like, yeah, no. So <laughs> now, did you intentionally yeah. pick them because you know Josh Hayes was? I mean, we've interviewed him before, so that's episode two. If you want to listen, um, was an Air Force veteran, and Scott Moon, who we've been bugging, trying to get him to answer to say yes and come on, uh, is a SWAT team officer. So they have that sort of military or paramilitary training. Do you think it could have worked if you had had somebody without that? I, it, you don't have to have military training. To, to write good military science fiction. And one example I always throw out is Tom Clancy. Tom Clancy wrote the greatest military thrillers of all times. He was a real estate agent, never served in <laughs> uniform. He just did, he just did his I research. I didn't know that. So I'm, yeah. So I, I'm not opposed. He, he, boy, Tom Clancy, his, his publicist is amazing. Did you know he's dead? No. He's still putting out, yeah, he's still putting out books. He's been dead for like 10 years. He's still writing. He's incredible. But wow. Okay. So, yeah, <laughs> the Ouija board. Is, I like, knew it. <laughs> What a publicist. <laughs> um, so, um, what was? It? Oh, yeah. So Scott and Josh, I knew that they've they've read or listened to all of my stuff, so I don't have to explain that how the tech works to them. They knew all the lore that's on the page. So when it says if you go to you want to write this too, when you know, the question that was put to them, they already had the background. Like if I went to someone else, if someone else came along and said I want to write in the Amber War universe, I say you got to read fifteen books now. And so it was a it was a lot you know, less of a hurdle to get over to with uh, with the two of them, and you're, they're both also great writers, which is a huge help. So um, in getting this stuff done. So and then with with Scott, he being a SWAT team officer and probably the most dangerous military author ever, uh, just based on his mm-hmm. skill set. Um, Josh Josh has also have a different skill set, also quite scary. But anyway, so. You know, I go to Scott and I say, I want you to SWAT team up this stuff. He's like, oh, we got it. Boom. So in it, so he his, his book, The Atari Salvation, it's full of SWAT stuff. And the next book that's coming out is also going to be full of SWAT stuff. So <laughs> I, I love that he can add all that, uh, all that, all that to it. So and if I may ask Josh, he, Josh was on the bomb squad. Um, 
but the thing about being you put any bomb squad stuff on there, they kind of get mad at you because you're teaching stuff. So we won't we might not put the bomb oh, squad right. stuff in. Or you go future tech with the bomb stuff, so you make up something that doesn't yet yeah, exist, and then then yeah. he can just can't get in trouble for right. that. Do you, now that's the one thing that I, I worry about. Sometimes you you have to wonder if when you when you've got people that write military science fiction, if they if you ever worry about going too close to your own experiences. Now I didn't have access to all the high speed intel. I was just an infantry sergeant, so I don't have that problem. But you worked in intelligence, so was that ever a concern for you that you might be? It, it sure was when I was writing military thrillers. And you know, it was always a thought of like, if I put that detail in there, I got to move to Russia. <laughs> so it's like, I am not. So when I was able to get away from all that and not have to like, you know, worry about it, it was a huge relief. So, and there's, you know, I, anyway, you know, I had all the clearances. I did, I did a lot of interesting things while I was intelligence and you, you can't put that in there because they'll come get your royalties and put you in jail and you got to, or you move to Russia. So mm-hmm. none of those options are good. No, it's cold in Russia. So yeah. the last question about the, uh, the writing stuff. So is there anything that the co-writing has taught you about your own writing storytelling techniques that you use? Again, we're, we're asking more uh, from the, you know, what the fans would be interested in as opposed to other authors. It, it it's, it drives home that I'm the kind of, you know, writer who character moments happen during during writing versus I mean I, I know my plot when I sit down to write. And then all of a sudden this character will show up and say, Hey, I'm doing this. It's like, oh well that fits. Okay, go ahead. And then then that that, that works into the book. So that's uh you know, and then but having co authors that really shows up because I'll be like I'll tell, you know, Scott or Josh, hey so and so um they're going to have a conversation with their dead mother here. Don't ask why it just happens. So that kind of thing happens. So, okay. so besides having to be careful about what you write about, how else have you tapped into or, or shied away from your military experience? Well, uh, I did 30 months in Iraq and, uh, and it, that gave me a real you know good sense of how, you know, the average soldier is during wartime. And, if, if you haven't been done range, it, it, it just sucks all the time and everything just sucks. And so it, if you put that into a book, people aren't, people don't like it because, you know, they, they read to escape what sucks. So I can still put it that I put that in, in, you know, th- that feeling of this is miserable in little, you know, bits and pieces and have it you know, really shine through of being authentic. And then, you know, and then some of the aspects of, you know, explosions and getting shot at and oh here comes the cavalry and those emotions of you know while you're downrange and all this stuff is happening i can you know i've incorporated that into my writing and i think it gives a good you know layer of authenticity that people can appreciate do you do you ever draw characters from well let's say they might resemble people that you met in the military there's one character in the ember war his name is standish and he's become a, a fan favorite love him and every and uh, I've had many people from multiple different militaries, different countries' militaries, say I knew Standish because uh, the Standish character he is a he's a borderline criminal, just not convicted <laughs> yet. Um, who and every unit in military unit has this just the one guy who who will you know, can steal whatever you need for the good of everyone else, and sometimes just for himself. And who always, you know, he knows everyone and like, oh, you need this? Well, I'll get it for you. But, you know, you got to give up this, this, that, and the other thing. So 
you know, the, the standish, the borderline criminal character uh, is very common in any military. And so I think a lot of people know him and it's like, yo, boy, we need, you know, if you're downrange, like we need some vodka here. Like who's, who's going to get us a vodka? Like, oh, well, that guy. And then you go to that guy and he's like, oh yeah, yeah. Just uh, put your money over there. And then t- in two days, go open that box. You know, like that kind of guy. So, so this is the difference so. between the enlisted and the officer because I know that sometimes stuff just falls off the back of a truck, and I mean, you, you, does, you yeah. don't want it to go to waste. That would be criminal. Oh no, no, that'd be terrible. <laughs> so, and it's never the supply people that can get you the good stuff. It's always people that don't work in supply. That always surprised me. Oh yeah, so always, <laughs> always. It's so when you read other people's science science fiction, especially military science fiction, do you ever? see things that people do that obviously they haven't researched that that just makes you crazy it most of the time it's it's how officers and enlisted talk to each other now in the far future on the planet krasnovia there may the military may be different (laughs) and i I can accept that when i'm reading but when when i read i hear like an e4 mouth off to a captain you know i I grip my 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 seat (laughs) and then i could just uh, I'm just sure that every officer and NCO uh, who's reading that book just just did their their pucker factor just went up <laughs> when that kind of thing happened oh, that, because the, the 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 instinct is to reach out and crush that that soldier who just yeah. did that. So, and but you can't do that because you're reading a book. Well, the so. the answer I was going to say, which is what you just alluded to, is sometimes that that kind of nonsense does happen. There are specialists and and E4s or whatever that like being E1s again, but a lot of times that's oh, yeah. that's preceded <laughs> by some wall-to-wall counseling in the back with the uh, mm-hmm. sergeant who happens to be around correcting the situation. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, and it's uh I I do enjoy writing the NCO correcting the junior enlisted because that's always satisfying. So, and then a lot of, a lot of other times as, as how, you know, being in the military, the American army, how officers, you know, talk to each other and relate to each other. And then when I read, you know, other books, it's like, it's like, what is this high school? And it's, you know, just being in the military for 10 years, you know, I had this expectation of this is how people relate to each other. And then people who have not been in the military, they will write it. They'll write their conflict, their interpersonal conflict, the way they, they would, they know it. So it's, you know, th- th- that's the greatest frustration when it comes to that. It's like, this is, this does not match what I, what yeah. I remember. And, and I, I, I understand that's my biases, but still they're mine. And I like them. <laughs> yeah. You, one of the things I've heard you mention in another interview is that the other thing that you, um, how do I say this? The other thing that bugs you is that they always, you know, they sort of rely too heavily on the tropes and that sometimes, you know, they, they sort of glorify the, the troops as like, they're all saints or they're all, you know, horrible people. So you want to elaborate on that here? Cause, um, but sure. It's, you know, if in the military, you're going to find all types, you're going to find your, your captain America, great Americans, you know, the, the, these people you tell your kids about how, how they should be like this person. And then you got your scumbags and, you know, for, for the American, that's how it was in the American military. You've got both ends of the spectrum. So, and you know, sometimes when you, you read a book, it's like you know, everyone is pushed to one end, and no one is on the other end. It's kind of like so. I like to have both ends in there, except with my armor soldiers; they're all on one end of the, the spectrum. And, and so. everybody knows that that's not correct, Richard, because infantry rules the world. I'm hmm. just saying. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay, sure. It's uh, so. I used to be cav. Uh, I used to be a cavalry I, soldier, and if you ain't cav, 
UA yeah, that, that shined through. So. so if people don't realize, in the army, the infantry and the cavalry and, and the armor specifically, they they have sort of an interpersonal rivalry within the service. So so Richard and I have been known to go back and forth on that on uh, Facebook posts. So oh yeah. <laughs> um, following that, what do you think are the best military units in science fiction? Obviously, you'd be giving yourself top billing, or you wouldn't have the confidence to write. So who would be your second pick for for the best military units you've read in science fiction? It's I love Space Marines from Warhammer Forty Thousand, and they can be a bit one-dimensional, but they're just you know they're, they're seven foot tall, encased in armor, you know, super soldiers. It's like it's so satisfying to just see them show up and just start killing <laughs> aliens. So I, I I do enjoy a good uh, Warhammer Forty Thousand Space Marine book. Okay, you um, are there any um, facts? I'm a Dark Angel. I'm a Dark Angel person through and through. And then, no doubt, you know some space wolf, you know, puppy who loves them, and they're like, "Oh, Richard Faction, you know." But no, a dark. Okay. That's what I was getting ready because to ask. They, yeah. Do you prefer writing large ship fleet battles or space marine fights? I prefer the the space marine fights just because it's it's a bit more immediate, and you know, while people love their space battles, for me, it's like you're just sitting there on a bridge pushing buttons, <laughs> and you know, maybe you blow up and maybe you don't. So I prefer the you know, the space spring combat, because what you can shoot at people and then sometimes you get close and stab them. So and that you, you can vary it up. Sometimes you shoot bit. the stab hole for extra points. <laughs> yeah. Why now, not? now Mar- yeah. Marines do that. I don't know if everyone else does. We just shoot them and move <laughs> on to the next guy. So there's actually a meme floating around there um, around the internet's about that somehow. So hmm. you, um, you write pretty convincing, uh, fleet engagements though. So is there a trick in your head? Um, that you do when you're writing those. So do you have like, uh, I don't know, um, sand tables uh, for those that weren't in the military. Basically it's a three dimensional map that, you know, you use to plan out wars. Um, Do you do that for, for your ship or your land engagements or do you keep it all in your head? I I keep it all in my head. And when it comes to the, the fleet engagements, I always, there has to be some third aspect is there the enemy fleet, the good guy fleet. And if it's just, you're just in D space is boring because you're just, Excuse me, you're just slugging it out. So I think what's the maneuver that people are doing against each other? So that's uh, just keeping the whatever, like, is there an asteroid field? Is there a planet? Is there something that you can't shoot in the middle of it? So it's just, you had to add that third thing to keep the space fights interesting Okay, for me. So I actually do the sand table approach because it helps me to see it out on um, in three dimension. So I, I think it can be fun. So you're um, at any point in time, do you, you plan on doing an Ember verse like role-playing game RPG? I not, not especially, I, I don't know where it, if for like the, the, in the Ember war, the, the, the series is pretty linear. It's not real easy for anyone to branch off and make their own strike Marine team. But after the Ember war books and then as the, the story opened up further, it, it could be entirely possible to have, you know, your, your Stargate universe sort of, you know, incident where you'd go through the gate and then, Oh, there's a planet that always looks like, like always looks like Canada. <laughs> and then you have your adventure. Yeah. Okay. Um, so your bio mentions that you are uh, the father of several children. So how do you manage to balance um, the writing, the working, and then, you know, having time for your family without pulling out all your hair? It's uh, we just had our, our third, our third child a little, uh, but, uh, 17 days ago. Congratulations. And 
Well, you know, when, yeah, thank you. And the newborns, they're, they're easy. Just eat poops and, and sleep. So basically they privates. So, and then <laughs> privates. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and with, with so, so the, he's easy. The, the, the new one's kind of easy. Cause you know, you put him down, he's not going anywhere. And the, the other two, you know, they go to school. Thank goodness. So, you know, during those, those hours that they're at school, I'm, I'm at the computer, you know, uh, just whacking away on keys. So, and then, you know, they, they come home, it's family time, you know, let's, let's do homework together. Let's play together. Let's, let's, let's do this, that, and everything together. And then I, I get the kids to bed and I can get back to the computer and do admin stuff. I can work on my Facebook ads. I can work on my, you know, answer email to people. So, you know, the, the less creative a task just happen at night when the boys are asleep. Okay. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I work when I can work and then I'm with the family when I can be with the family. Okay. So do um, your older kids, are they old enough that they're interested in, in talking about your stories with you? Not yet. There's they're, they're mostly into watching Disney cartoons okay. right now. So it's, it's like, I like uh, my book about the red Baron. I, I I'm not going to hand it to my kid <laughs> just yet because you know, I, I mean, like they come into my office and they grab my books. I'm like, daddy, there's no pictures. You're like, I know. No. <laughs> The comic book's coming, son, and you can look at the comic book. Oh, is, and is the comic book, is there a graphic novel in the future? Yes, there is an Amber War graphic novel coming, and it should be here this summer. I've already, the scripts are done, the preliminary sketches are happening. So uh, how comics get made is a learning experience for me. I'm mostly just like, I'll just sit in the back and uh, and let you know if you got something wrong. It's sort of thing with the script. So it's a, it's a good learning experience for me right now, getting into that other other avenue Fun. of uh, publishing. So no, but there will be, uh, there will be everywhere comics uh, coming out this summer. So who do you have going behind you? Cause you've mentioned that you were colorblind and I know I've had that problem commissioning covers as a colorblind person myself, where I'm like, I don't see some of the nuance uh, is, is anybody going behind you or are you just trusting the process? It's what well, I'm, I'm not, I don't approve. I don't approve the art or anything like that. So it's more okay. I'm, I'm just looking at the story, saying, "No, you need to keep that detail in for this one book, you know, this one issue, because it's going to be real important in issue five. So Okay. Now, is this based on? Is this a separate story based in the universe, or is no, it going it, to be? It's the Ember War. It's going to be the okay. whole Ember War saga. Is it will, will okay. Come out. Outstanding. So uh, that sounds interesting, and you'll have to. Uh, let us know when it comes out so we can all buy it. So what's that? They say, shut up and take my money already. Oh, oh, I'll send you a review copy if you like. Outstanding. So now finally, because we're running up on the hour, I have a question that I added just for you to our template. So your character Standish is extremely entertaining to listen to, <laughs> uh, at least as he's portrayed by your narrator. I think that's Luke Daniels. Is that your yes, narrator? Right. Yes. Luke Daniels. Okay. How did you intend uh, originally intend for the character to behave? Was he always intended to be how he was? Oh yeah, he was always going to be, you know, the 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 borderline criminal who with the heart of gold sort of character. And I, I kind of envisioned a young Steve Zahn, okay, uh, who, who, who's like the perpetual sidekick in a lot of movies. So I, I I kept him in mind, and then the the take that Luke Daniels did on him with the the kind of the I, I want to say Fozzie, Fonzie yeah. sort of asset. Like okay, yeah, that works. Yeah, because you know you hear you hear Standish talking, you know it's Standish. So, good good job, Luke Daniels. I'm proud. That that was I, I've enjoyed that character listening to him. And um, if you haven't listened to his uh, 
Richard's interview, or excuse me, Luke Daniels' interview on the Keystroke Medium. I will list it in the show notes, but he actually does some funny bits with the uh, Standish character where he sort of ad uh, ad libs some funny scenes that he just makes up with that character. Mm-hmm. Have you, did you watch that interview? I did, and I uh, I did that, and then one, later on, Luke Daniels was doing uh, he was doing a reading from one of the books, and he asked me to to just like do some dialogue spot on between Standish and another character um, named Stoiben. And I'm like, Oh gosh, uh, you know, perform on the spot. And I did something and it was a joke that came through. And uh, well, I think like it's a joke. You don't realize while you're reading it, but when you say it out loud, everyone who's hearing mm-hmm. it understands the joke. So it's just a, it's a play on a, on a name. So I think I kind of, I, I might've embarrassed Luke Daniels when I did that. And I apologize if, if I did so, but <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, enough shameless plugging. What are you reading in the genre? I have been reading uh, Galaxy's Edge books recently uh, for for yeah, reasons that Jr. understands. And oh yeah, and so it's yes, I've been reading those books to to for a reason that we made perfectly clear pretty soon. You know, same with Jr. I heard your you heard your interview with uh, Nick Cole yesterday. You know, if, as a military intelligence person, I'm like, we're just just tell us, okay? Because anyone, <laughs> everyone can figure it out. But we're anyway, we're, we're not we're not telling anyone yet. So. That's all. Uh, that's all, Nick. And I got a a funny message from Jason about that. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I can't control him. I, you know, he he's like a dog off the chain. <laughs> but I, t- as a former intelligence person, I used to love people like Nick. We were like, oh yeah, just shh, 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 just let him keep talking. So. It's, uh, <laughs> We'll find out everything. Loose lips sink ships. Yeah, they they do. They do. And sometimes they get you a tomahawk straight to your house. But anyway. (laughs) So uh, we're sorry for all of you who will soon be mourning the loss of uh, Nick Cole. Moment of silence. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I've enjoyed them. What's your your favorite Galaxy's Edge book at the moment that you're reading? Yeah, um, that first one. Well, it was was really good, it, mostly because it's like uh, you know you, I could get into the story. It's like okay, Legionnaires, hostile world on the run. Okay, great. You know, there's tension everywhere. I love it. So that that first one was was really good. And, How far uh, in? I, I've gotten through the third one, and uh, there was some. Yeah, I got through the third one, and then after that, I was like, okay, this is. I've got everything I need now for the thing I'm not going to say. So through the third books, now I'm concentrating on that other one. So, and then Dan Abnett has a new Eisenhorn book coming out in five days. So I've only been waiting years for that, but so when that, that new Eisenhorn Magos book comes out, I will be reading the heck mm-hmm. out of that in five days. Okay. I, I will say that I love the covers they do for those um, space Marine uh, for the Warhammer books. Oh, I don't so know. Good. They're all. I mean, you could just even if you didn't like the books, you could just drool over the the visceral imagery on those covers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. If you haven't uh, checked those book covers out, people, you need to mosey on over to Amazon and just you know type in Warhammer 40k and just start looking at those images. My goodness. Yeah. Or go to uh, blacklibrary.com. Blacklibrary.com. And, uh, I'll put that in the show notes. Is that the um, Warhammer specific? That that is, yeah. The Warhammer that that IP has their own online store, which is probably why most people, more people, don't know about them because they they finally started putting Black Library books on Amazon for fifteen bucks a pop, which um, you know for for readers it's like fifteen dollars for an ebook. What am I, you know, Scrooge McDuck over here? So 
it's a, uh, I think that that's kind of hurting their, their exposure. Meanwhile, my stuff is available at two ninety nine to four ninety nine and yeah. free on KU. So it's a, uh, it's, 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 it's easier for readers to get into me. It's like, you know, the, it's like, well, I won't, at least I don't have to lose any money if I don't like his book. And uh, I think most people enjoy the reason. They're like, Oh good. I don't have to pay for this and read it. Love it. So. One of the things I didn't understand about the traditional market as a reader, when I choose a book, when I can get two, you know, books that happen to be indie for the price of one traditional ebook, or I could buy that e uh, that traditional book on hardback. You know, it, it's a no brainer. And there, I don't understand why you would price yourself out of the market like that. It just doesn't make any sense. No, their their mistake is my game. Absolutely. So I, I, yeah, I look a lot more enticing. You know, if a reader is looking like, do I want to start this series or that series? So, so the um, the other final question that we ask before we uh, wrap this up um, is because we focus on the science fiction. So the science of science fiction. Is there any scientific breakthroughs that you're following or excited by? Did you see where they launched a Tesla into space? Yes, I did. I watched it. Long. Holy moly! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's. I, I love that you know. Somebody I saw a picture floating around where like ten years ago, SpaceX was a bunch of you know pasty, uh, uncomfortable guys in an empty office with a mariachi band, and now they've got the most powerful rocket on Earth, and they're launching things into space and throwing Teslas at Mars, <laughs> and it's like, and then making the rockets land and reusing them. It's like, whoa. I'm in the future. Finally, I'm in the future. And yeah. they had the one. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just say they had the one. Uh, one of the rockets that landed on the the drone ship out in the ocean, too, which was amazing. Yeah, D- doesn't seem like they're having way too much fun with science. It does. <laughs> oh, why not? I mean, if 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 you can do all this and get us to Mars, and oh, by the way, you turn your roof into uh, a, a aesthetically pleasing solar panel that powers your car. It's like, this is great. Yeah. You know, what's the complaint about? The funny thing is, is I know I'm going to get hate mail. So send it to Chris Winder at, um, but the, uh, the, the flat earth people are coming out and like, see, this is just part of the conspiracy. This was a soundstage in Hollywood. It's too clear. The pictures oh. it's faked. I just laughed. Flat earthers. Are yeah. It was because in the one of the pictures of the space the Starman, which is you can see a picture of him because they mount. If you haven't looked, they've mounted the Tesla to the top of the rocket, and then they've got a, a mannequin essentially in one of their pressure uh, one of their spacesuits. And in the rearview mirror, you can see the the curvature of Earth in, in the background, and so that just set them off about how it was all staged, and it was hilarious. I've I've read some of those those science uh, debates, if you would, if you want to call them that. Hmm. So what about you? I t- Go ahead, Richard. I, I think it'd be fun to write a story from an alien's perspective who finds the Tesla. Yes. Just in, you know, in the in, in deep space. And they're like, they're just trying to make sense. Of what, what is this? This isn't a spacecraft. The engine doesn't work at all. It's just, you can just imagine these aliens trying to figure out what the hell what just happened here. It's going to be a racist who writes that first. Well, the other thing oh, yeah. I thought was funny was, you know, I, we both, Chris and I are fans of the Dead Robot Society podcast, which is more geared towards other authors. But uh, Paulie Cooley writes horror. And so he was talking back and forth. And I just keep thinking, what if they hit a body in the trunk? Nobody. I mean, that's a murder that'll never get solved. <laughs> nice. So, yep. But I'm, I'm a sick and twisted person, I guess. So what about you, Chris? Is there anything you're watching? Yeah, I, I found this weird website, valuewalk.com. So I'm not 
not 100% sure it's going to be peer-reviewed. <laughs> Probably not. But they have an article talking about a paper a German scientist wrote. The paper advocates destroying a message which may in the future be received from aliens. Basically, if, if it's from alien to Earth, destroy. Don't open. Don't look at it. Don't do anything. They bring up a good point that anything that an alien might send us might be a doom virus computer virus, or might be an AI that takes over the planet. And and figure if aliens wanted to destroy us, they wouldn't have to send a gigantic ship. They could just send a signal and hope we were curious enough to open it. But I just thought that was fascinating story fodder because you wouldn't really even have to explain where it came from. You would just have the effects and after effects. Did you see that movie uh, Species from way back when? I I don't think I did. Yeah, it was uh, aliens send a couple of messages to Earth. The first one is like free power. The second one is something awesome. The third one is virus that kills you all. You know, like the aliens convince you, oh, these these messages are great. They're here to help. And then the third message destroys your planet. (laughs) (laughs) With a a naked Nastasha Hentridge somehow. But anyway. I did wonder about that, but I didn't complain. (laughs) Yeah. So. The um, normally this is where Chris would ask me, but his voice is a little hoarse, so I'm going to pretend he asked me what I'm following. Um, and I found an article; it was on uh, MSM.com, and it's basically the headline sort of says it all. A scientist has captured an impossible photo of a single atom, uh, and it's just I oh, think it's, it's cool that. because the the tech that would be required to do that would also allow so many medical breakthroughs. If you can take pictures at that scale. Could you imagine what the robotic surgery could do? Because right now they have um, robotic arms that do some fine surgery, but it's limited by the visual tech so the doctor can see what's happening. So if you can add the uh, enhanced imaging, I mean, I could just imagine that technology being used across the board in all kinds of interesting ways I'm not smart enough to figure out. So I just – I found the whole thing interesting. Now, the the science article itself was a little bit – it broke it down a little uh, less than user-friendly, I think, in parts. So I will try to find uh, in the show notes one that keeps it a little simpler. But if not, you know, read at your own discretion. But it, it had so. a picture, so even Army veterans could understand. True, yeah. but it wasn't written in crown, so the Marines were sort of SOL. <laughs> oh, uh, point handy. I'm going to give that one to him. All right, thank you. Of thank course you. you. So, <laughs> he's not oh, biased yeah. at all. <laughs> no. So, uh, where can uh, listeners find you, Richard? And uh, again, every all of his contact will be in the show notes. Uh, if you want to read my books, go to Amazon and, and and type in Richard Fox, and you'll you'll see the Ember War books and other novels come right up. If you are on Facebook, type in Richard Fox author, and you can kind of my my author page is always a party there. And you can get um, snippets uh, from you know future books, pictures of the comic book that's coming in, and my talk, my thoughts on science fiction that I've I've seen. So outstanding, and um, we do plan on trying to um, twist his arm and find some incriminating evidence so he'll say yes because we do want to have him come back and talk about the exiled fleet. That does sound interesting, but we tried to keep today focused on just the the Emberverse. Um, so look for that sometime in the distant future whenever he has a free day um and what about us chris where can they find us our website is www.sfshenanigans.com our twitter is at sfs that sierra foxtrot sierra 
underscore show. And our email is podcast at sfshenanigans.com. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Chris Winder, I'm J.R. Hanley, and this was the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time, where we'll indulge our love of space and all things that go boom. All right. Thank you for sticking with us through that uh, archived episode that was in the uh, in the digital memory hole that we found. We thought you'd enjoy it. So thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the archive for the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back at our regular scheduled time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom.